Hey, what's up, listeners? Welcome back to Bench Units. My name is Mark, and we are joining you following one of the most packed wheelchair basketball weekends in the whole calendar as we get towards the business end of the season. But I am joined by the late game Caleb Martin to my late game Jimmy Butler. James, I hope you watch this game, otherwise that won't make any sense. How's it going, man? Yeah, I did. It's good, thank you. Also, you saying uh, one of the most packed days in your whole calendar makes me think you're very, very, very organized about just whatever you do in your own time, which is <laughs> a hilarious joke to not make. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm very tired. I feel a bit run down, probably sound it. But hey, well, yeah, man, living the dream. Yeah, Gosh, all right. Been, we'll get into it, but you've had a relatively successful weekend. And yeah. we're recording this a day um, later than usual because having gotten back from Copa del Rey with Trophy and All-Star 5 placard in hand. By the way, when I text you to congratulate you, I didn't realize you'd won All-Star 5 because I didn't stick around till the end of the stream. So I, I, I had a couple of those messages. I got one from someone that was like, hey, congrats, man. And then a couple of hours later, we're like, oh, All-Star 5. All right. All right, my guy. But um, but yeah, we're doing this a day late because you obviously landed back in Bilbao and you immediately had to be cutting large ribbons with scissors and kissing babies and other such important person stuff as you left your real friends behind. But I've managed to snag an hour of your time now or however many minutes this thing goes on for. Yeah, I thought it was like based on the Cop Ray, but it was actually just like coincidentally timed that it was just one of these awards things that your team has to go to once a year because people pay your bills and you have to show up to do those. But I thought it was one that we set up and I was very much of the opinion that we should just do it with the EuroLeague One trophy as well next week. But, <laughs> um, but that, would yeah. been, that would have been a great gamble to say, being like, oh, by the way, could you have two tables set up, like one each side of the team, one for each trophy, and then you just have to take the photos with an empty table on one side if things doesn't go your way. Yeah, or like you take a picture with the Copadora on one hand and just an empty hand on the other one, and you have to just like... <laughs> get a get like a soft drink sponsor on board and put a coke in your hand or something but We've yeah no, it was now. it was not bad but yeah so we're a day late but i was also probably not in the best shape yesterday anyway post celebration i'll i'll allow it yeah. um speaking of teams that know how to celebrate we're going to do italy first and wanted to point out on this one that amakachi Gillianova, new champions of the italian scudetto won the trophy and they bolted it to the front dashboard of the, their team bus for the drive home. And <laughs> that's not what you do with a trophy you've just won. I don't know what the point in any of these competitions is. That's ridiculous. Also, once again, proving that if you score 63 points in an Italian game, you get to win. <laughs> I didn't well, say at least 63 just ex- once you get to 63 it's like alright cool like if you land on 63 and the other team has 75 it's like no 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 the team that <laughs> got 63 got it done first to 63 or bust um, yeah obviously this one wasn't viewable for those of us who don't shell out for expensive VPNs because this goes on Riceport on the Italian TV network Um so stats are available. Gillian over one game one at home last weekend. They then went to Cantu for the second leg and they beat Cantu 63 52. 
um, Shea Barbabayev, Israel, 24 points and MVP of the finals. I was going to say, did he not have 30-odd in the first game as well? Yes, and he had, I think, 35 in the game where Gillian over knocked out San Stefano. So did, I'd yeah. say, say that's, um, that's well-earned. And we got a vintage <laughs> um, Matteo Cavanini game with 17 points and 15 rebounds. Just... You know he's not he's not won enough Italian titles and cups in his career, so it's not nice for him to get this one. Sounds like it's a charity thing, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Barbie by absolutely showing out in these last couple of games. I wish we could watch them to see like what was what was the reason? Like were they giving it up? Because I don't know if a guy scores thirty against you, feel like you do your best to not let him go eleven from sixteen the next time round, but. <laughs> but what do I know? Well, we played them earlier on in the season, and it was a lot of just like free throw line spot ups. But we kind of made the executive decision to not let that happen, um, and it worked. So they must have just had two full games of being like, "Ah, we're okay with this," uh, <laughs> and they shouldn't have been. So uh, he showed them. Um, but also, we didn't see it, so that might not be. That might be reductive. I don't know if that's what happened. Yeah, on the Cantu side, only Simona Di Maggi with. Uh, double figure point scoring at twenty four, and he is, he was ten, <laughs> ten from thirteen. Oh, yo, get, get this guy. Yeah, in the starting lineup, you've also got a four from thirteen and a three from fourteen. Maybe funnel it to the guy who's shooting seventy six percent a bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Cantu have kind of been. We've caught bits and bobs them as the season's gone. And you're obviously going to see them next week. Um, at Euro Cup, but. With the losses in players and whatever, and one of those has turned out pretty well for you guys, but Heard of this, them. <laughs> this whole season, it feels a little bit like Cantu have been kind of running on some cocktail of institutional knowledge and fumes. Um, and it kind of felt like, although they did pretty well in taking apart a more talented Sassari team, they ran into a beast they weren't really equipped to deal with in this Gillianova's mix of kind of inside size and presence with Cavanini and also shooting with Barbibai. And that was even with keeping Amit Magoda to three points on eight shot attempts, which would seem a pretty good starting point for beating Gillianova. Um, but Barbibai's really stepped it up anytime uh, Vigoda's had a, a slightly down game. And yeah, man, Gillianova have just been... They've stayed the course all season, really. I, I wasn't blown away by them when they played at your Euro Cup. Um, yeah. But they seem to have ramped it up in the closing weeks. And, you know, you're now going to go to Euro Cup 1 to play Cantu, where Gillian Over are going to be in, in the Euro Cup 2 finals. And it kind of feels like they should be switched around. I think there should be a thing where it's like if one team beats you in the, you know, your domestic league finals or whatever, and they've got a better Euro Cup spot than you, you should, that should be on the line. I, I don't see why that shouldn't be the case. Oh, no, I wonder if you could go to like Euro League seedings based on previous year's league performance rather than 10 years of Euro League performance. But yeah, um, I, think, I think that's fair. I, I do like the idea of it being on the line. I think that would be cool. But yes, yeah. just being able to decide extra stakes pre game, be like, all right, this is for the cup. And also, we'll put up Euro League two if you put up <laughs> last year's league. I don't know. But yeah. um, also imagine imagine if this had gone that way and that had been on the line and these two teams had to like swap flight details into each other's names <laughs> with like days before the tournament. Yeah, I, I understand why that's not happening. 
But yeah, I don't know. Having played Gillian over in our EuroLeague or our Champions Cup qualifier, I would have probably placed them comfortably third or fourth best team in Italy. So congrats to them. Big win. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's nice to be in the part of the season where people are out here winning stuff. Yeah, and this is... This is the first time in their club history they've ever won it, and this is their 40th year anniversary as well. So that's poetic, if nothing else. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know they'd not won it before. 39 years of futility is suddenly all worth it. Uh, Yes. And if you asked every single person who'd ever been involved, they'd tell you the same thing, (laughs) probably. Um, Should we shift on? Because we've got got a good bit to cover. We're going to do Germany next, because... Obviously, it's been Italian finals, German finals, and then uh, Coppa del Rey. So there's no real fair order to prioritize these things unless you want to say that any given um, league is more important than the other, which you do because Spanish league bias. So should yes, we go to which, which people famously do about the country they play in. But anyway, <laughs> let's get Germany out of the way. No. Um, so we had, when this game, this first uh, Turingen Landale game of the weekend had taken place. I had just come off court against Alunion in what was a big, quite emotionally charged win. And I was very much not that excited about it yet because I was like, all right, cool, we have another game tomorrow. I was kind of straight faced about the whole thing. Maybe I'm just emotionally stunted. <laughs> and then I found out Landale stuck, took one off uh, Turingen and we got an extra uh, game of. German League basketball and I celebrated probably how I should have at the end of the game we just played I was like oh are you serious happy that that's amazing like I actually like freaked out a little bit I was very excited which was you've come a long way from the guy who when we started doing these roundup episodes used to text me weekly being like I can't believe I have to watch these German League games Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's bring the receipts up for that I'm not sure it happened I'm joking but um. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's I've just gotten so into like watching these games and trying to figure out how a result goes a certain way to the point, or maybe I've just like dampened my own emotions so that I don't feel so bad when things go badly the way I used to. But yeah, I didn't care a whole lot about that game, and I cared massively about watching this one for some reason to the point like I won a Copa del Rey semi-final by one point on a last second play and then watched this afterwards before I went to bed, which is <laughs> diagnosable probably. But anyway, Landil 67, Thuringen 63. Yeah. We spoke about this after the first game and you said that you didn't really see a way for this to happen. If I said, all right, the only way it happens is a game that doesn't even get to 70 by each team, that was probably it, right? Yeah, I mean, that was that was one of... I think I had two roadmaps that kind of each came half true enough to cobble a Landil win together. Was it Rayo um, and Tommy going nuts? <laughs> it was basically that um, it would have to be kept low scoring because Landil have only really been cracking low 60s even against Hanover generally uh, mm. in the in the round before and then against some of the stronger teams. And I said that when they beat Hanover in a close one, they'd kind of diverted their offense to Tommy and Rayo taking 65 to 70% of their shot attempts. 
and mm-hmm. Tommy and Rayo are combined 19 from 38. So 38 of their attempts out of their 61, that's obviously not quite 70%, but they certainly veered in the the monopolizing direction. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, the tale of this one was, it was 38-32 at halftime uh, in Thuringen's favor, which considering we played the two most important games of the German calendar in 24 hours, the games kind of blur into one from a viewing standpoint, not at all yeah. aided by the fact that they had the identical scores at halftime. And I was like, I'm having such a hard time keeping track. Is this yesterday? Um, yeah. But yeah, um, Landil won the third quarter of game one, 19 to eight, which, you know, winning a 10 minute stretch by 11 in what you ultimately end up pulling out as a four point victory. And a lot of that was just Tommy coming out super assertive. Um, Landil looked a little bit off to start the second half. I thought they, I think Rio took like three shots in the opening minute of the third quarter and it was two threes and then like a fadeaway 20 foot post up. Yeah. I was like, ooh, this is, could get out of hand quickly. Um, and then Tommy took control, man. And I thought the two of them together were able to supply Rio being consistent enough throughout the game to enable Tommy to kind of have hot streaks and then Tommy wasn't madly consistent but kind of would hit enough to panic the defense and then he would divert to Rio a little bit and then he would come back and I thought they just balanced it well between the two of them um, and then combined with the fact they got eight from Gundner, seven from Quinton Zantinger, two from Yannick and four from Rose just enough supplementary scoring to outdo a slightly I don't really know what the word is for Thuringen's performance here but certainly not as boisterous as they typically look yeah I wonder if subconsciously there's a thing of like ah we've got two goes at this um yeah I don't think so like I think if you asked anyone pre-game that would not be but I wonder if it's also Landil came out and took it but I feel like I don't know if you look at Landil from Saturday to Sunday the thing, and I think it's sort of been the question mark over them when they haven't been playing well recently, when it's like, okay, do you run your stuff and then shoot a contested 18-footer? And do does playing well look like making those or not? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's the case, but it is a lot of like, is, is this, I don't know, like, is this perimeter shot making the end of the road or is perimeter shot making a, a sort of vehicle to get some other stuff and get other people going and yeah I don't know, like the, the fact that we can, we were kind of like yeah okay tommy or rio goes nuts um i don't know yeah it's interesting you float that theory because if, if that was the vehicle then it would have made it would have borne out to make more sense that they would have won game two where Guntner, who's their primary inside presence, had eighteen points in game two as compared to eight in um game one. So you would think if their perimeter shooting would create more opportunities inside, they, that would theoretically be the best path to them winning. Um mm-hmm. I think that obviously the difference between um game one and game two is I thought the Bulls were way more effective offensively in game two um and we talk about you know this being the time of year where your main guys need to step up and the bulls two primary bigs in haluski and vahid were 
combined 11 from 26. And when your two main guys are trailing their two main guys by 10 plus shot attempts, you know, it's very easy to see how you end up, you know, at least 10 points lower than Thuringen's typical total. Well, I say 10 points lower. Thuringen are about 37 points lower than their typical scoring totals, but you kind of have to throw the averages out against Landil, right? But Yeah, you don't really get to compare what you do running layups into what you do against one of the best defensive teams in the world. Yeah. Also worth noting for Landil here, Simon Brown missing all weekend. I think he posted on Instagram that he had a concussion, so that makes a big difference to a team that's already kind of down to eight or nine guys. Yeah. Um, seven yeah. of them that they really play in any real consecutive in any real consequential minutes. Um, but it's also just mad that next land next Landell lineup up when they had to rotate because they were missing one guy from an injury and obviously, um, Gaz having left the team a couple of weeks ago, like they they go under points as their first sub, yeah, because they have to. Yeah. In like this historically well-run team, and it's it's just interesting, and obviously, like that wouldn't be the case if Simon was there. They would have probably gone to their two-twos stuff, but it's just it's weird to come to the end of a season and have a team like Landil be like, oh well, right, yeah, yeah. gotta go with this. We've got to go thirty minutes with a load of different guys and forty for three guys. Yeah, it's a um, this very. Much, I mean, wheels falling off is a bit dramatic, but this is kind of like. Trying to complete the, you know, you're on a long drive and you're tra- trying to get there without stopping for fuel, kind of thing. Like, I'll just, I'll turn turn the aircon off. Oh, we're going downhill. I'll stop pressing the accelerator. It feels like the Landil vehicle is being like gradually stripped back and stripped back each time. I appreciate Simon will hopefully be back in time for Champions Cup in a couple of weeks. But yeah, man, all things considered, and like you laid out there, playing under points anytime they deviate from their starting five. Hell of a job to force a third and final game. Um, unfortunately for them, third yeah. and final game went to Thuringen 76-65. So Landil staying about right with their mid-60s scoring totals and Thuringen just turned out they had another gear um, led by Jordi Ruiz with 20 off the bench because... There's nothing Jordi Ruiz loves more than showing up in a big game and claiming complete and utter ownership of the game. Yeah, even when you think about last play of the last couple of plays of the game on Saturday, he pulled one from like just past the logo and made it to kind of try and have a last ditch attempt at bringing it back and made it. I was like, oh man, this guy loves it. Jordi Ruiz, who is also now officially won Spanish, Italian, and German leagues. Um, which I'm not sure anyone else has done, if not. And that's three in four years as well, I think. Obviously, Landil stole the finals last year after Thuringen pummeled them a few times. Landil won two in a row. Um, So Jordi was a year removed from having won three consecutive titles in different countries in three consecutive years, which, I mean, I I certainly won't hold the, the gap year against him in this case, man. That's impressive, however you try and slice it. Yeah, and also uh, this going to Turingen's different, but the first two stops in Italy and Spain, like it's not like he went to Cantu and then Alunion, you know, like he went to yeah. went to a team that was sitting sort of third in the league and brought them up 
Um, so that's massive. I don't, I don't know. There are probably people who've done it that I don't remember or that people won't have figured out, but I don't, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Anything that's pre YouTube, I, I think officially doesn't count. I was thinking, thinking about this the other day and we're, it's 2023 now. I think we're officially 10 years on from the excitement I felt at the 2013 Champions Cup being made like fully available on YouTube. And I think it was the first time ever, and I was like, this is honestly the best thing that could have ever happened to me, which now, 10 years later, I know that it's not. But now, 10 years later, you're like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I have to talk <laughs> about these flipping things once a week with that guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we're, te- we're 10 years into everything being visible, so I think anything that happened before that doesn't count officially. Sure. Um, no worries. That's like when they talk about... In football, they talk about like all-time goal scoring records. People talk about Pele, and there's a load of stuff of like, yeah, but it doesn't really matter. Or like the Wilt Chamberlain, a hundred point thing. We're like, I, I didn't see it. No one saw it. Doesn't count. It might not be real, but yeah. So, congrats, Bulls. Um, congrats, Jordy. That was cool. Yeah, um, that was cool. Is <laughs> a weird thing to say, but but yeah. I thought Bulls getting to do it at home. After obviously what transpired last year with um Tommy sinking the the second free throw to um win the game for Landale, I thought Bulls winning it at home was really cool. Uh, not that they haven't done it before because they went through about a two year undefeated stretch not so long ago. Um, but yeah, man, I think Bulls are obviously they've claimed Germany now and they've got kind of a week and a half's rest at this point to go into Champions Cup and we'll get on to the. You know, they've obviously faced Landil. I think this is game five between the two of them now, two in the, yeah. in the regular season. And three. So they're going to play each other again to open Champions Cup. So, yeah, it's a, um, it's a heavy schedule. And then we'll see how they match up against the um, the two Spanish teams that have made the Final Four. But, yeah, in the meantime, Bulls, I think, have been the best team in Germany for the bulk of the year. And it is only right that they they got to hoist this one even you know bonus game for us included and shout out to Landil for forcing a game three when I said I didn't think they would be able to do such a thing yeah I think I would have said Landil were the better team in Germany first half of the season but as the year went on I think we were kind of I was reluctant to say that Landil were on the way down and you kind of called it early and I just didn't really want to um <laughs> didn't feel like saying it was like yeah, <laughs> but I wasn't 100% sure we could call it like an actual dip yet or whether they just, whatever. But yeah, they were kind of on the way down for a little bit and Turingen kind of got better as the year went on. And yeah, obviously people missing comes into it as well. But I yeah, mean, this is about what it should have looked like and it'll be interesting to see in a couple of weeks' time. Um, the way to spin it if you're Landil is you've played each other five times and it's gone from 1-0 Landil to 2-1 Thuringen to 2-2 and then to 3-2 now. So if you're Landil, you can reasonably talk yourself into you guys are evenly matched enough and a win over them in the opening game of Champions Cup would make it 3-3 for the season, which you know doesn't seem outside the realm of possibility at all. Yeah, well, I mean, neither of these games this weekend were a blowout, so it would be... Yeah, I think if you're Landil, you're still thinking you can probably do them in a couple of weeks because you did two days ago. Like, so yeah, looking forward to that one. Yep. But so, 
shall we head to what feels like an incredibly densely packed weekend of games when it's actually just seven games across three days? Yeah, we just have to care about all of them because not one of them was like Joventut for all. Like, not one of them. Can we just go 55, 48? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Next. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll do our best at doing that with the first but, round. Yeah. But anyway, talking about scoring 50, Elunion 79, Leganes 54. Yeah. Was what kicked us off. And I'm glad that was the case because when the draw came out on two teams, that were local to the city the Copa del Rey was being held in. I think everyone wanted to make sure they were the first game of the week, and they very much were, which was nice. So, pardon? I said that's only fair. Yeah, that's only fair. I love the idea of like doing this draw and then being like, wait a minute, let's cook the books here a little bit. <laughs> I know, I don't think that's what happened. I think they did everyone favors, but yeah. Illunion 79, Leganes 54. Bill with 22, Terry with 17, Greg with 10, Hassa with 18. Um, Tom O'Neill wasn't in the first game, so they didn't start the usual the usual guys, but Yeah, there there is um there's one stat from this game which I didn't spot until because so many games have happened. I tried to give each stat sheet a glance before we jumped on record today to like remind myself. And I didn't spot this one initially, but this one tells the story of the entire game, which is Illunion with 56 points in the paint, which is two more points than Leganes scored total in the entire game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if that if that's not pushing it in your favour, I don't know what would be considered. Um, yeah, I mean, this was just, even without Tom, who is actually very useful in this specific matchup with his ability to kind of single-handedly ramp up the pace. Um Illunion just had too much, man. They could kind of beat Leganes, depending on what lineup they were rolling out. They could either beat them with speed or beat them in the slowdown game. Um, yeah, just the I thought the offensive execution for Illunion in this game was really promising because you don't get by Leganes relying on like turnovers and transition or anything like that. So I thought this is actually a for a team hoping to make it deep into the tournament this is a good opening game because it really forces you to focus on your execution. Yeah. Um, and Leganes just ran out of gas, man. And it was... It looked a couple of times like it might be close. Um, I think it was eight-point difference at halftime, and then Illunion blew the third quarter open by ten and the fourth quarter by seven, and that's just the... That's having enough guys to run your rotations, even minus Tom. And yeah, Leganes got four... 14 from Cano, 12 from Christian Gomez, 16 from Alexi Ruiz, and a couple of chip-ins here and there. But yeah, Illunion get four guys, well, three guys well into double figures, and Greg just into double figures with 10 there. And yeah, yeah, that'll get it done, man. I don't think anyone would have... Um, I don't think anyone is saying, I can't believe Leganes bottled this one. This is Illunion's tournament. Yeah. This was this went how it was meant to. This went how it went twice in the league. So fair enough. Okay, this was a little bit more exciting. Amiab one thirteen. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> via the lead sixty. Um, that was two weeks in a row that by that Amiab went and scored a hundred against a good team. Uh, so they played Grand Canaria last week. Scored a hundred. So 
serviceably repaired their average after their 52-point game against Malaga that I'm contractually obliged to bring up every podcast. Yeah, imagine imagine that's what they were doing. They were like, right, we wanna we wanna be top point scorers in the league. We got like on like when someone has a scoring title to play for in the last game of the season of the NBA, so they try and score sixty in a game. They're just like, We need a hundred odd because we want to get back up to like seventy-six points a game or whatever. But anyway, this just never looked close and having the best team in the league play the fourth best team in the league and it just being 113.60 made me do my haha, best league in the world <laughs> head shaking <laughs> thing when, every, when anyone mentioned it but I don't know we've seen it a couple of times Albacete are just defensively really really well equipped to deal with nearly everyone um, everyone I would say but they keep Romo too like Romo's going to get what he gets, he's going to get into double figures, obviously, but how inefficiently can you get him there? Because they just have the agility and the length to be able to have a chair on him and keep him quiet. And they can also, like, I've seen them just go, like, Lee Alejandro on the same side as him and just L, like, just L shape him, just yo yo him and just, like, hey, we don't even need to jump because I can contest a three from behind the screen. But made him really uncomfortable. Um, Clarence, uh, oh, sorry, CJ. Um, I always just read the stats. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy, and he doesn't go by that, <laughs> but yeah, uh, CJ being eight for 12 with 17 was the only reason this didn't look. I was gonna say this didn't get ugly, it did get ugly, but the, the only reason this didn't get as ugly, um, yeah, quickly. If we if we do our um, our plus minus scanning as we like to do in games like this, you, um, See, nobody on Amiab played more than 28 and a bit minutes, which was Filipski. They had all 10 of their active players somewhere between plus 10 and plus 41 in the plus minus. Ridiculous. um, CJ, who was probably the most consistent scoring option for uh, Vidalid by virtue of being on the court to get buckets, ended up as a minus 41 in nearly 35 minutes as well. So Tough road for CJ, man, but um, yeah, I mean, some of the plus-minus stuff got ugly. Violated Romo at minus 52, and obviously these are the guys who are playing heavy minutes, so they're going to be out there regardless. Of, you know, you're not going to take those guys out because it's going badly. No, that's um, the thing. Like, hey, do you have a better option? Not really. Yeah. But no, it's just also, you can be plus 10 in a, like a two-minute period because it can be like turnover, layup, turnover, layup, forced miss, layup. Like yeah. they're just, I mean, I get down the floor so quickly, and they've got such size inside. And then a guy like Phil that pushes the pace as much as he does, yeah, it's just a yeah, that's a recipe for blowing yeah. people out. In the same way we talk about Durring and being able to do that, like, and I don't really, you can't really look down the Amiab bench and go, all right, Fran Lara, Harry Brown, Ben Fox, Oscar and Ruby, and be like, all right, cool, that will slow the pace down, like. <laughs> Um, well, and also, as well as coming in, he's a he's a one man pace slower, but it's often for the better because he just needs to get within twenty feet and shoot a post up. Yeah, the um, legend. Um, man, I still really want to see video of him playing like fifteen years ago. But as we said, this is a ten year thing. Underrated uh, stat line of maybe the entire weekend. It doesn't count for a whole lot in a game like this. But Filipski with twenty eight points, ten rebounds, and sixteen assists, and um. 
it's kind of, it's come as a this is kind of a theme we'll maybe touch on a little bit with Amiab, but the as it's got later in the year, the scoring and facilitating duties have become not inverted between Phil and Filipski, but certainly slightly more balanced. Um, I think early in the year it was Phil racking up, you know, the high teens assists and Filipski just focusing on shooting the ball. And I think that's evened itself out a little bit. Uh, certainly for the better in this game, we can talk about whether it was for the better in a couple of the later games, spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, obviously if you're on the have you come in, want to make a statement, um, job done. Yeah. I just, once yeah. again, I, I was talking to the guys the morning after and I was like, I love teams getting 100 so much <laughs> because I'm just <laughs> hoping it happens in a sports hall that doesn't have a scoreboard with the one on it someday. Like I just, I just want to see a team reset the scoreboard by accident. Um, yeah, as I say, that is that, that's just one of the little stupid things that I love because I think it's just like it's another reason to be invested in a game that's an absolute blowout. But anyway, um, possibly the most exciting of the quarterfinals: uh, Grand Canaria sixty-four, Mercia seventy-one. So I say this: ours was exciting for a half, but. You guys won by the same margin, but I think you guys had it in hand earlier. Um, the real story is that Mercia won this game by seven, and that took them... They lost the third quarter by eight, and then they had to win the final quarter by 13, which they did 26-13, to come away with a seven-point win. So, yeah, man, like Mercia have accomplished a lot this year in terms of legitimizing themselves and stepping up to the competition, and that was really on the line for a minute there and they pulled through. Um, I thought it was a real sign of maturity from those guys in it. They're obviously got a couple of veterans there, but a lot of the responsibility falls on youngish guys like Lee Fryer and Joaquin Robles. And it would have been easy staring down, you know, the remaining 10 minutes of the game where you're down. How I can't do the maths in my head. Uh, six points going into that, having just lost the third quarter, it would have been really easy to fold and let Grand Canary get away with it, but that didn't happen, and they yeah. ratcheted the defence up like few examples I can think of that have happened this year um, for any team, and yeah, it just it fed their offence the whole fourth quarter, and they were able to, able to pull it out, and when you get 71 points total and you get 26 of those in the last 10 minutes, that should carry you over the line against most reasonable competition, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Copa del Rey is a cool place for teams like that to be sort of on display as like, all right, cool, we've been consistent and solid all year and we're built well and we're kind of moving up. But like those guys getting into a semifinal and then playing for a medal, like it's cool because you don't really get anything for not winning the league. Like even a loon yeah. get nothing for being second in it. Like you don't get first, second, third in the league. But I think it's a cool opportunity for a team like that to show up and have the chance to win something to be like, hey, look, we've got something for for doing well. Because I don't know, like only rewarding one team a year if there's only the league kind of doesn't give credit to a team like Mercia for having been promoted a handful of years ago and just building something good and smart and sustainable and yeah, yeah we're, we're big Mercia fans here I think but uh, I mean, what, 
while we're about it, one guy, one guy from Mercier, I'll shout out is I, we, we've had the like running joke a couple of times on the podcast of uh, guys who don't fear the moment. Um, the all star team captained by Australia's Tom McHugh, but BL Carbo man has completely and utterly pathologically no fear of anything that's going on. And <laughs> this guy, I think he was zero from three going into the fourth quarter of this game, and he hit two massive ones as Mercia were kind of getting the, the wheels turning and gaining momentum. And yeah, he's obviously out there to ramp up the intensity, which he very much did. But yeah, I thought it was awesome. Like, still a really young guy and big moment, kind of emblematic of the team as a whole. And he sunk a couple of huge ones. So shout out to him, man. Oh, yeah. He could be cool, if I had one. Yeah, Beal's cool. Um, I, yeah, I also just like seeing young fellas that I've played with do well. I was obviously with Beal in Bilbao last year and yeah. I've been around Lee in the sort of GB setup for a while. So it's cool to see those guys getting responsibility. And I say this about Lee, like at this point, it's just cool to see Lee Fryer being one of the best players in the best league in the world. But like, like there's no like this young fella starting to, no, like Lee's just playing 40 minutes and scoring 20. He has arrived. Um, yeah, he is. He's he's been here. Um, Lala with twenty as well does not care. Um, on the other <laughs> side of the ball, you've got Ramane with twenty five, Salazar with ten, uh, with twenty three, um, but both kind of slightly below average efficiency. And I think that's the thing. Like, you're not keeping these guys' numbers down, but can you make it difficult for them? And Yes, Mercia can make it difficult for people as proven all year and as proven in the next yeah. game as well. But yeah, I think that this that kind of fourth quarter or maybe the second half generally was like a little bit of a Grand Canaria microcosm because I think it's gone really well for them at times this season when both those guys that you mentioned are hitting from outside, um which they shot well enough in the third quarter and those guys got inside a little bit and they just for some reason couldn't figure out Mercia's defense and it's like I know Mercia are a mobile team and they're rolling out this Robles and Lee Fryer and um, BL lineup which are all speedy guys but I just felt like had Gran Canaria as a team had a bit of composure you only really need to get one switch and Ramane is potentially roasting somebody full court and yeah that didn't really happen. Um, and yeah, I think you kind of saw the best and the worst of what Gran Canaria have been all season. Um, Ramone's just announced, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, that he'll be back next year, which is obviously big for them. Um, I mm-hmm. think there's been rumblings on a couple of other guys that they've got their um, their eyes on. But I think you see it with Lalo in these games, man, and Lee Fry being able to post up some of their smaller guys. They need a real inside presence which Salazar can kind of do defensively, but less so offensively. I see. I disagree on that. I think he plays up size-wise very well, especially as a 3-5. I think he does, but I think you then, by default, end up with him. It's like, hey, Salazar, you have to guard the hulking inside dude, you know, Lalo in this case, or it's been like Lee Manning in the past, and it's then a bunch of small guys trying to take everybody else. And that's again, the thing like it's like all right so you've got to take this guy okay where's our like where's the 
guy that rolls on the weak side when you draw all the health because you're our big guy inside. Like, whereas the next biggest guy's a 2 5. He's yeah. the biggest 2 5 in history, but like, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> cool. Very little to say about that. Um, transition, should we go into your game? Yes, but anyway, speaking of smooth transitions and uh, artificially sort of speaking together of- segues. Bilbao 79, Malaga 72. So, as I say, this was, was this tied at halftime? No, they were up one, right? They were up one at halftime. Esparza hit a three to um to put them ahead with however many seconds left in the half. Biggest Barca um, game. Yeah, biggest Barca game. So, we, um, we got there and I don't know why we started so frazzled. We've done this a whole heap of times all year where we've started sort of running around like headless chickens and kind of like first quarter we lost Kyle on a couple of threes and we lost people on runs to the basket and cuts and layups and one on zero fast breaks and we were kind of just all over the place but we were able to score enough that it didn't matter a whole lot Um, second quarter was much of the same we tried a couple of different lineups and it was a little, it was just a little disorganized um, from top to bottom. Um, credit to Malaga for making it so and taking advantage of us not having our heads screwed on. And then we came out in the third quarter and actually had our stuff together and won the quarter by 11. And that was enough to get it done. Um yeah, it was weird. Like yeah. I just, I, I very much felt like the whole time it was, you know, the cup kind of has a lot of importance for a lot of people, as it should. Like it's a chance to win something in a weekend rather than over an eight month period. And maybe some of our guys felt that, or maybe the travel, or God knows what it was. But we kind of started with our heads up our asses a bit, and it took us a minute to figure it out. But pardon? Are you going to edit that? No. <laughs> I think ass is just about appropriate. Um, I'm not sure if anyone has a problem with it. Let us know and we can edit. I, I'd love to find where the line is. Um, no, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we started quite poorly and Malaga are, they've been sort of, Malaga have looked like a whole lot of different teams all year, um, but they're certainly good enough and competent enough to make us pay. Um, they at one point went to their second lineup where they ended up with um, Kyle, Abdi and Esparza all spread out and we had no idea how to figure out three shooters being on the floor at once for a while. It was as if we thought we couldn't defend more than one shooter at once. Um, We just couldn't, I don't know, it felt like we were like, okay, so if this guy goes here, we have to help from this guy and then full stop. And you're like, well, no, there are there are many ways to do this, but you know, like we would jump Kyle and Abdi would just be wide open on the free throw line, or we would jump Abdi and Esparza would be open on the other wing, or it's just stuff like that. And it took us a minute yeah. to sort of. It's interesting. If you watch that, you would kind of even if you didn't know what Malaga's roster was meant to look like with the um obviously the absences of Lewis Edwards and Pete Cusack. Um, for or Pete, Jim. who I saw there and who is doing well and getting better and oh, okay. uh, and is great. 
Cool. Um, but yeah, if you thought, if you looked at this 10-man roster and were like, this is what Malaga have got, and then you could just show, you could time capsule that stretch you're talking about where it's being able to, you know, triangulate Kyle and Esparza and Abdi and show anybody that video. But like, ah, this, you know, this is just kind of what this team should do. And, you know, they've got the firepower to make that work. Um, which kind of begs the question as to why they've been so up and down all season because they've got a lot to fall back. I know Abdi's been out for stretched as well. But um, yeah, I mean, they got... Ultimately, the reason they got close to you guys is they got 24 from Esparza, 23 from Cozzarinha, 15 from Kyle. Those guys combined to hit six three-pointers between them. Um, and yeah, and they've just... They had, you know, good offensive games from their three primary offensive weapons and then Abdi coming off the bench to get a handful of points as well. Yeah. Kind of looks like it would be the formula, but you guys were able to to rally and I think if to use your um headless chickens analogy from when you started talking about the game, if you guys were headless chickens, Asier is very much the farmer from Chicken Run who needs all his chickens to be rank and file to go into the slaughter machine. And um yeah, he he kind of made it happen, man. Him and Pappy between them for the first of three games over the weekend. Asia sets it up, Pappy knocks it down, rinse and repeat, and that was kind of what carried you guys. Both quite good. <laughs> yeah. Um, um yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about Pappy. Um but yeah, also um Kozarina hit two threes with like a minute to go to make it look a little closer than it was, I would also say. But yeah. Shout out to Malaga, man. They um pretty good performance to end the um the season on given everything that they've been through probably as we've said before probably the most ravaged team by injury and absence and you know yeah we played them on a we played them on a monday and for various different reasons like health or um, not being able to be available on a monday because you have a day job we had they had five people missing <laughs> that's hard to do cuz you can't like you don't there's very few wheelchair basketball teams that have the sort of financial ability to just have enough guys to absorb five yeah. people being missing, but yeah. Right. So that was the um, opening round. So for those keeping score at home, the first of the semi-final matchups was Amiab and Mercia. And I think to paint the picture of this one, it's that Mercia really play at one pace more or less all the time and Amiab are very, very capable of playing at that pace. That's what I was just going to say, Mercia. Without as many, you know, the more you speed up, the more prone you are to like transient errors and Amiab are just able to keep it clean while playing at the same speed as Mercia and you kind of saw it coming in the first quarter, man, where Mercia were going hell for leather, and it's then any Mercia missed shot seemingly was turning into a an open, you know, one on zero fast break layup for Amiab. Is just kind of like ah, yeah, this is this is a mental processing speed thing rather than a physical pushing of chairs thing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This is the difference between I don't know, man. If we push the pace, it might just create enough variance that there's a world in which we win this game versus 
hey, let's push the pace because we're absolutely great at it all the time and we live at that pace. So yeah, Mercier's real benefit against other teams that aren't used to it is they can do that and they can muck it up and make it scrappy and kind of play that way against teams that are really clean and execute well and whatever. And then you've got Amiab who have the combination of like maybe the unique combination in the world of wheelchair basketball this year of like, no, we execute at that speed constantly. Like yeah. they just want to push the pace. Um, yeah. I think, all the time. I think it's, it's Amiab and Thuringen, isn't it? That can push the floor like that without losing their ability to execute with precision. Yeah. And it's only them. And if you're Mercier and you're looking up at those two in terms of how fast you can play, you know, there's not a terrible crowd to be just behind, but you know, you're certainly not there. Yet. Yeah. How fast can you play? How fast do you play? Like, okay, this team does this all the time for fun. But yeah, this was never like I say this was never really close. There were a little mo- moments in the second half in the second quarter that I was like, um, can you make this a game for just long enough that I want to watch it, please? But no, didn't happen. No. You had Philipski with 23 again, Lee with 18, Ale with 13, Phil with 8. Um, ben off the bench with 8. Ben, yeah. ben, by the way, I'll shout him out at this point because in this game, I don't know if you saw um, he cut for a layup it like bobbled off the front of the ring. He went up to catch it and Lalo came from behind and got both hands on the ball and like ripped Ben to the ground. <laughs> I texted Ben afterwards to see if he was all right. And he replied, I feel like Simba at the start of the lion. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh, yeah, highlights of unintentional comedy in this game goes to that moment. Um, I love that. Uh, but yeah, that was great. So Ben with the head off the bench, Savala with, um two harry with one uh yeah other side of the ball pardon rolled out as the the human victory cigar in this game (laughs) like against maybe the second quickest team in the entire spanish league they're so far ahead they're like hey we'll roll out the guy who plays in slow motion and sat out the first half of the season the anchor well no he was in division one Oh yeah, so he was. Excuse yeah. me. Come on, man. You've given someone abuse for not noticing where he was. Uh <laughs> this is only fair. So um other side of the ball, Lee top scores with eleven. So if Lee Fryer is your top score with eleven on five from fifteen, you might have a bad time. Because that's the thing, like I've spoken about other guys previously in the last twenty minutes being like, Well, they're gonna get their numbers, obviously, but how inefficient can you make them? And this is like neither, not only is he not getting 20, but he's also doing it on five from 15. Um, yeah. Credit I, I to Amiab's defense. I think the the real trickle down for Mercier, and we saw this when they played Illunion a couple of weeks ago, is going against teams of that size really takes Lalo away. Um, he's, you know, he's much more a cut, catch and finish guy than he is like a stationary mismatch shooter. Yeah, and he, I think he still very much tries to play the same way against the Amiabs and the Illunians of the world, and it's like that. Lalo got nine shots in this game in thirty-seven minutes, and um, Mercier only fourteen turnovers, which is relatively low given the pace of the game. But you know, there's a good number of those passes turned over, trying to force them into Lalo, and yeah, it's like 
when that guy's taken away from collapsing the defense because I mean I don't need to collapse on him. It makes the life of Lee and Black and Robles who have to create a lot of the offense with the ball in their hand. It's so much more difficult to then play against the perimeter pressure when they don't have to worry about that guy. Yeah, that's um, that's what I've described with Amiab previously, where there's like a yeah, you can jump, don't worry, we'll be fine. Like just go. And also the a lot of what Lee Fryer's amazing at is like instead of other players being sort of coached into no, I'm not I'm not gonna go to this place or that place because I don't want to get into trouble. Lee's so good at being like, I'll get into trouble, I'll get myself back out of it, it's fine. Like I'll push into the charge circle on someone's foot plate because I can spin and fade away and tilt and make a post up because I don't really care unless you actually check it. Whereas there's no getting back out. Like there's kind of a black hole in the charge circle between the four guys with real size they have on the floor at any given point uh, when Amiab are playing defense. So Lee doesn't get like the amount of people that Lee Fryer can get with all the fancy stuff and all the weird, like, like using his hips to get to the basket and shooting little post-ups and little fadeaways and shots on the tilt and stuff. Just there's enough size and good defenders with real discipline that you just, that goes away. But it's mad that that only goes away at this point. Like we've got to, okay, you're playing for the, you're playing against the team that I think is probably going to win Champions Cup in two weeks. And it's like, okay, at this point, your stuff stops working. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's quite yeah. cool. Um, yeah, and that kind of was the story of this one. So Amiab advanced to the final, and they will play the winner of Ilunion 75 and Bilbao 76. They will play the winner of this game, which was us. Um, stupid. Not. Right. So this was sort of back and forward. Um, I was. Our starters were minus whatever. We were down uh, three at the quarter, but we were down a little bit more than that by the time we came out. I think our starters came out eight minutes in to the first quarter. They were up five or six. Um, Our four big lineup brought it back relatively well. And then I think we kind of just went back and forward. We won the second quarter by a lot. They won. We won the second quarter by nine. They won the third quarter by nine. I think and... I think it's a it's a weird one with this game because it felt like the runs in each direction were so exaggerated that none of the quarter by quarter scores or the individual plus minuses really have any correlation to what happened in the game. Like obviously if a run goes on and you know a Lunion go plus ten over five minutes and you then claw back eight points in the next three minutes you know, whoever's on the court there is only minus two, but a hell of a lot of stuff has happened. And that's kind of what it felt like uh, looking back at the stats here. But yeah, that's actually the plus minus thing is interesting because I was actually speaking to uh, Lucas about this earlier. And I think sometimes you're just like one team goes on a run, your coach makes a sub to see if they can stem the flow and, you are also just caught up in the run. Like you come in and it's minus six, no matter who's on the floor. And it's like, all right, cool. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we... uh, well, Lu- Lucas would push the idea that the plus minus was interesting because he was a team best plus 13 in 15 minutes. So shout out. Well, to that's him. What, I, what I mean is he was being like, don't worry, James, your minus 11 probably means nothing. Um, <laughs> but so uh, we got into the point where they were 10 up 
at some point yeah. mid fourth quarter. And it, was it was 68 58 Illunion, uh, with about six minutes to go, I think. And you yeah, guys... about the time that Asier files out, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys went 18 7 over the remaining stretch of the game. Um, yeah, and doing cr- all that with both Asier and Manu only fouled out, um, with like 14 seconds left, but. You guys obviously Asier got you to that point. You have 14 points, 12 rebounds, 14 assists in his which is third, mental. <laughs> um and yeah, man, you guys it looked real dicey for you guys for a minute when Asier came out, and then you kind of had to restructure your offense. David Maurice, who is only just back this weekend, hit a couple of big ones to keep things moving along, and then Pappy went absolutely so to put an Italianism into that. And yeah. pa- Papi, there was a point where, so we were down 10, and at that point I was just playing, like Asia had been thrown out. Um, We were down 10, and I was like, all right, cool, whoever's on the floor, let's, just, like, let's go up and down and chip away and see what happens. Papi hit a couple of threes. I looked up and it was two all of a sudden. I was like, okay, no, this is we're back in the game. Like I was just kind of playing for like, there was long enough where I was like, right, let's see what we can do. And it was like, Oh no, no, we're in a one possession game. Now this, this like every play really does make a difference, which sounds, I don't know. It's, it's a weird one to describe because it sounds like I didn't care after that, but I just kind of thought we were, I thought it was done yeah. at that point. Um, given for thinking so, and that's even factoring and Pappy hit a couple of threes and the, couple of the Bilbao offenses that led to that really weren't obviously going anywhere up to that point. Um, and he bailed you guys out a couple of times. So had there's a very real scenario in which even like had the first one of those or the second one of those missed, that really could have been an Illunion transition layup and things could have panned out exceptionally yeah. differently. Um, and ditto for the final play of the game where you kind of inbound it to David Maurice. He dribbled around a bit. None of you guys really got below the free throw line until there was a couple of seconds left. And David Maurice, having run really no action or no anything, just kind of drifted into an extended elbow pull up. <laughs> no, wow. that was the game. I was like, what is going on here? Well, no, if you look at that play, um, I might I remind you that Asier and Manu were filed out at this point. So we ran Horns. Yeah with me and Lucas on the free throw line, a combined three points when we normally run it with a three and a four. Um, So me and Lucas were both, I was talking to him about it today and we were both just like, if we pick enough, we might not have to roll into Hasso. Uh, so we were both just like, pick, 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 pick. I think I picked and re-picked for David three times. Um, But they were, the way they were defending it, they were kind of going like three, two, with Hasso in the middle of the paint, so he was kind of reluctant to come up the floor, yeah. probably based on being instructed to not do so. Uh, but David ended up pretty wide open, um, because me and Lucas, once again, a combined three points, had rolls to the basket, and they didn't want to give that up with Hasso <laughs> on the charge circle. But that's a really hard thing to do at the moment because, I don't know, Hasso comes up and then all of a sudden there's a weak side cut from Papi or something and your yeah. coach is going, hey, what did I tell you? But um, David got exceptionally open, but I guess chasing him off the three-point line was job number one for them because he probably shoots the ball better from three than he does from some places inside it. 
because yeah, they weren't coming off happy at that point either because he was thirty four points on sixteen of twenty four shooting up to that. Yeah, and he was missed all his free throws. Though, what's going on? Yeah, but if you look at his free throw numbers throughout the year, it's it's like they don't really match up to how good he is everywhere else. I was four from four in the final though, but we'll get to that. Uh, uh, but he, um, yeah, no, if you look at it, like Papi was baseline being defended, Adrian Garcia had maybe a lane to the basket, which was being covered. So Terry was on my back and had to sort of split the difference. And David hit it. David also let it go really quick, which, um, I mean, he like shot it pretty quick, he didn't let it go very quick at all. But he, when he took the shot, it was out of his hands pretty quickly. So it's pretty hard to get to. That's a that's a big one. So we do that. That's not long after Hasso splitting a pair of free throws uh, where he airballs one and banks the other one, which is amazing. Um, it was a weird, he uh, like, what, sorry? I was going to say Greg got last shot for them to me, but it was a, a high speed rolling prayer that, you know, it hit the side of the backboard, but it was a, an incredible degree of difficulty shot. Yeah. Which I, had they had a bit more time on the clock, I think they would have drawn up something better than that. But yeah, man, oh, you got- if you if you listen to their timeout, um, they go Greg inbound, Hasso on this on the block, and then they've got Sarah on the screen on the baseline, and they were meant to go because we were very small at that point because all of our forwards had filed out once again. Um, <laughs> so if you look at, oh no, Papi was on the floor. Um, if you look at it, they were meant to go Sarah on the weak side block, uh, Terry and Bill cross. Um, Greg inbound to Hasso get it back, and they're meant they'll probably either have a miss on the weak side or Greg Hasso t- quick two man game, which they actually had both of in the end. But we had at one point we had Lucas defending inbound side and me on the side with Terry and Sarah. And very last second, Papi was like, "Hold on, switch this because Lucas is bigger than you, and like Lucas is a better defender on a mismatch, and I'd be a better defender jumping someone." And I was like, "Wait a minute, why did we?" Like, why did we not do this from the beginning? That's a great shout. But um, to be fair, like if I'm on Greg's team and that's what he's shooting to win the game, I feel pretty good about it. But I think we were able to push him low enough and at a high enough speed that it was a bit more difficult. But yeah, I've seen him. I think everyone's seen him make those. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, pretty good. But like also we could have given up a far worse look. Like they have some absolute, they had some, like real size mismatches on the floor elsewhere, but we were just banking on them not having enough time to get it there. So, yeah, big win. Papi with 34, Asia with 14, Davin Maurice with 10, Chema with 10. Uh, seemingly everyone else on Bilbao with more personal fouls than points. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> he had three guys foul out. Chema foul out in 23 minutes is hilarious. Um, yeah, he's in there to rack people. Hey, I had more points than files because I don't file because I don't play enough chair defense. I'm a uh, reputational defender. And yeah, Elunion got 23 from Hasso, who was by a long way your guy's biggest issue in the game. Uh, they got 19 from Terry, 14 from Greg, 13 from Bill. Hasso um, has been our problem all year. Yeah, he, you guys tipped the game off and he immediately just bulldozed down the floor and got like a charge circle post up and made it. I was like, oh dear, this is going to be a long one for Bilbao. Um, yeah, because I think the last time we played them, obviously we lost 94-91 and it was like, all right, so we figured out we can score against them, but we still haven't really figured out how we can stop them. So if we get 
somewhere in there and try and slow down their transition like because a lot of it's just like trailer down the middle with a one and hasso and it's like hard to stop and it was like all right if we can figure this out a bit and we once again just didn't yeah <laughs> but yeah right he was plus 15 Shall we move to the final? I think there was a bronze game, but I didn't have the stats open for it, and Illunion beat Mercia. So, final it is. Oh my god. <laughs> this is the information people come here for. Um, <laughs> I don't have the stats open, and Illunion beat Mercia. Um, yeah, it was closer than I thought it would be, but I also don't remember the score. I doubt um, anyone will be chasing us up to find out yeah, that. Talking about um, things I do remember, Bilbao 80, Amiab 72. So, week I I don't know about everyone else, but I came into this game kind of being like, all right, beating Alunion and scraping it into the final was was the bit that I didn't think we could do. This is very much a freebie. Um, yep. So, like, we played them both. We played them twice, and both times it was kind of fairly comprehensive. As it has been when I may have played Anyone. nearly everyone with a full squad. They'd only lost one game all year. Yeah, and that was without... That's my thing to reference, not yours. Yeah, but what I was going to say is people are like, people keep forgetting that Ali Alejandro Zarzarella wasn't there. And he's quite important. Um, I, I'm sorry, I don't excuse them for that one, but we'll talk about this game. All right, I'm explaining rather than excusing. I think there's a bit of it. I think there's a slight difference. But. Um, so this game, once again, Papi is pretty special and has been pretty special in various parts. Um, I had a good laugh with him on Saturday, and I was like, man, if you just asked for the ball a bit more, it would come, and then you could take some shots. And then I told him he was going to shoot six shots in the final on Sunday, but he went 32 points on 13 from 22 to lead us. Asier with 17, 15, and 7, which is... Ridiculous once again. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's ridiculous and it's what he does. Um, we've also started back with Adrian Garcia starting when David had started the other two games. Um I thought that was big big in this one. I know Adrian played 18 minutes, but I thought he was your guys' defensive game plan at the very least was to swarm Lee like flies on. A word that you would have to edit. And um Thanks for not giving me work. But yeah, Lee took five shots all game. Um, probably took twice as many free throws. But oh no, he was zero from one free throws, which seems wrong, but yeah. <laughs> it was it was uh, it was Ali that got to the line. Yeah, if Lee's listening to this, he probably thinks he should have got to the line a bit more. He might have been right. Um I think if, if anyone watched any of this game, so my initial chat with Ben Fox about this game was Asked, hold, on, asked, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How much of how often do you come on here and talk about conversations that you have with Ben that he assumes are private? I don't think he assumes it's private. He knows it's fair game. Uh, but anyway, this was me asking him stuff, so I feel like it's on record. Um, All right. But yeah, he, my take on this was I would love to be able to watch a, an important Spanish league game in which I could have any idea as to whether it was well, well refed or not because. You could honestly watch any of like Amiab, Bilbao, Ilunion play each other in any format, and you would have no idea whether it was being refed well or badly because all every team does is yell at the ref from the opening minute to the closing seconds. Yeah. And 
I think you say you know, Lee's probably annoyed he could have had more free throws. No, I didn't even say he's probably annoyed. I just mean like, at, like anyone that. playing against Bilbao is probably like, hey, why didn't I shoot 15 free throws? And they'd be right. But <laughs> the refs letting stuff go, I think, is helpful to us. I, I think yeah. I don't think there's any secret there. But well, it is until you guys play Lacane at Euro Cup and you're like, how come they're hitting us so hard? Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. We were all like, oh, my God, they're like us. Well, no, I was like that. The other guys were like, wow, these guys are a real bunch of work. Imagine playing like that. I was like, wow, the lack of self-awareness is great. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a weird one. Like, I, I came away from this game or even at stretches during the game. I think Phil hit three left-wing bank shots in quick succession in the first quarter. And I was kind of like, oh man, if Phil's knocking them down from outside, that is... You know, it's not often we've had to see what the X factor is to put Amiab over the top, but logic would dictate that that would certainly be one of them. Yeah. Um, and you would come away from this game being like, man, Phil had 23 on, you know, 50 plus percent shooting. That should, you know, that level of aggression should, in theory, make everyone else on Amiab unstoppable. And kind of the, as I rewatch the game another time, it becomes obvious Phil's there's some cause and effect there where Phil was actually taking and making those because getting the ball inside to Lee was so much more difficult than it had been for them at any point during the year. Yeah. And I ultimately thought you guys, it would have been very easy when Phil made his first handful to abandon your game plan of swamping Lee and seeing if those guys could carry them from outside, which they damn nearly did. But I think it would have been really easy to abandon that plan and go back to pressuring the ball and just trying to play Lee straight up. But I think you stuck with the game plan for long enough that it took that element out of the game. And it essentially, outside of Alejandro getting to the line, it basically put the pressure on Phil and Filipski to win the game from outside, which, I mean, they were, what, 19 of 41 combined, which is a pretty decent outside shooting percentage. Um but it's obviously not the same as throwing the ball inside to the biggest guy in the world. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like you, someone hits a shot from 16 feet that you decide you were going to give up. That kind of kills you in your own mind, but you have to think that's still a lower percentage than a layup. And it's certainly a lower percentage than a layup that might get rebounded by one of two guys (laughs) that are bigger than everyone we have on the floor. But I think that's one thing that Bilbao has been good at, certainly for longer than I've been around, but I've really learned where it's like no discipline for the game plan, where you kind of, you talk before the game and you think long and hard and you go, all right, so we're going to give up these things in these certain scenarios because over 40 minutes, it will probably tilt tilt in our favor. And then someone hits two shots that you are sort of happy to give up in certain scenarios, or you give up one by accident and they hit it and you go, oh, never mind the game plan. We're going to just start jumping everything. And then all of a sudden you're not stopping either of the things. But yeah, I think we had kind of decided in what scenarios we could jump people and what scenarios we couldn't and whether it was worth like just letting something happen because we could at least maybe grab a rebound. And obviously we made conscious decisions to sort of lock the paint down and send people to the line in certain scenarios and it kind of yeah well it obviously worked but um 
Yeah, they yeah. are. I still, I also have Kim away from this being like, I don't know if that's a, like, I don't know if we've figured out anything that would lead us to beat them five times out of the next 10 exactly. But no, I, guess I don't I think, think they're so. going to win Champions Cup, but I just think we played a pretty close to perfect game offensively and then defensively held on for dear life. Yeah, I think really for me, the story of it was you guys came out and it was you guys were up 19-12 with about two and a half minutes left in the first quarter. And I was like, hey, good start for Bilbao. You know, this is looking positive. Um, mm-hmm. And they leveled it to 19-19. And we've talked about it, I think, with some of the games like Landil, Hanover, where it's like the underdog punching up the worst, the most dispiriting feeling in the whole game is having given, you know, the the on-paper better team your absolute best punch, especially to open the game, giving them your best shot, and then it's being tied. Is is like, right, yeah. okay. Like, we had that, like, where we were up a little early and then they hit a couple of shots, and I was like, oh, here it goes. Also, they had a couple of runs. Um... Yeah, third I mean, quarter guys, especially they came out where we're like they had a run where they hit a couple of shots and then we turned it in bound over and Phil had a layup and one and I was like knowing how those guys play having played with half of them and played against the rest of them a lot it's like oh you give these guys a bit of momentum and you might be like they might like the train might run away and you might be in front of it was kind of yeah. what I was thinking but but yeah you guys ultimately so that you got up you're up 10 at halftime. You'd been up 12 um, just prior to that. And they got it back to one point to end the third quarter. And you guys just out-executed and down the stretch. Um, and you, I thought your guys' style of basketball changed a lot throughout the game because you, the actual majority of building your second quarter lead up to 12 points was a lot of um, one of your bigs flying early, especially Manu, and getting some layups and like some quick stuff before all their giants had chance to get back and set up, and then you almost lured them back into setting their defense lower than they typically would to stop that from happening, and you were able to leverage that into executing for the last ten minutes. And again, when Pappy came through, and I thought Pappy had a great sense of. I think we talked about when you guys played Albacete at your place mid-season, saying how tough Bilbao's big-to-big passing is against a team like that yeah, as compared to most teams. And I think Pappy had a really good sense of knowing when to take a, a good shot as opposed to being like, no, I can get two feet closer. And it's like, yeah, you are two feet closer, but you now have somebody drowning. You know, you can't even see the basket. <laughs> I thought Pappy was pretty good and decisive and he hit some big ones for you um yeah there was the amount of times that because me and him play together nearly all the time when we're both on the floor the amount of times we're like i'd be screening and he'd be jumped by charlie moore and he would just make the executive decision of like right i'm taking one dribble and half a push off this and then it's going before it gets dark yeah exactly like he'd that. get jumped and instead of picking i would be like i'm just gonna screen the big anyway because you don't need a whole lot of space here and you certainly won't find any more any further in before it gets dark is a great way of putting it we should um 
We should get the video game cover for Dying Light and like Photoshop Lee and Alejandro's arms into it instead of the zombies. That'd be great. Yes, um, that would be niche, but good. Um, but yeah, man, you guys ultimately pulled it out, and it's now two years in a row that Bilbao have, against all odds, um, taken the Copa del Rey, and this one still feels a little bit surreal, especially when it came by virtue of winning a game against a team who you had lost to five, four, four times out of four prior to this. Um, uh, yeah, we have seen we have yeah. seen too much of Alunian. We've then, seen enough Alunian to last a lifetime, and I'm <laughs> sick of them. But I think because we've played them three times in a row and lost by thirty three times in a row. And I would have come away from those being like, I don't know if there's a world in which we can beat them. And then we lost to them by three. And I was like, hmm, okay, there's something in there. Uh, like yeah. if you're in what is basically, if you're in a one possession game, yeah, obviously you can win that game. But I wasn't sure if we would or whether that was a blip. Like yeah. they've got to 80 something against us. Like I think they put 88 against us in the first time we played them. So like they've scraped 90 before so they can get 90 against us. But did us getting up to 90 seem like an anomaly does us scoring enough to beat them seem like an anomaly and i think we kind of came back down to earth a little bit and settled in the 70s thank goodness but you dragged them with you and yeah to follow follow that up by amiab's only lead against you guys was 2-0 to open the game and you jumped out on you know the favored team and you just punched them in the mouth to start the game and you despite a couple of runs in which it looked like they were going to take it over. You guys clung on. And yeah. yeah, us being able to weather the storm was massive, both in that third quarter when they like to make a run, but also nearly every team that plays uh, Albuzetti that have lost to them. Like six minutes in, you're like, oh my God, why is it 27-12? Like, or just like four plays in, they've had five layups, and you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, what is happening true. here? Um, uh, so I think being able to stick their runs out and having the sort of fortitude and I think we're well coached and well led for that as well like um, a less experienced team top to bottom would probably be like what is happening here experienced teams have played against Albuquerque and been like what is happening here we've done it twice already but knowing that we could probably stick it out and score against them yeah it's yeah. amazing like this this team winning two couple of days in a row is nuts historically you want a little stat I've dug up for you? Uh, yeah, you can do. Bilbao have never lost a Copa del Rey game in which you have appeared, and that oh. goes that goes back to when you were playing with Gran Canaria and they beat you then. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's amazing! Bilbao three of three in Copa del Rey games that I play brackets for or against. Um, I love that. That's yeah, very annoying. Um, very stupid. Hey, we nearly won that one. All-Star 5 for Copa del Rey was yourself, Papi, Manu, and then Phil Pratt and Greg Wobson. My only gripe with the um, All-Star 5 was I would have had Lee Fryer in Manu's place because with all due respect to Manu, I think Mercia should have got some recognition for the season and tournament they've had and also what the hell is the point in giving all these dudes junior points up until they're 25 if you're not then going to use it to stack up the all-star teams that never actually play in a purely theoretical so no no i'm i'm team manu on this i i personally love that it was just me and two international teammates and two club teammates that's funny <laughs> um but no i thought manu was unbelievable and 
kind of has been very pivotal literally to what we do for the very long time but these last couple of weeks a lot of our sort of tweaks in the games that we hadn't won previously have centered around things that he's done um so no i think he really deserved it um you pull me out of there if you want if that makes it four four three three two doesn't work but but it's um fun. but yeah um i thought we'll do the belt in a second but no we won't we, we obviously <laughs> Stop posted it. the um I'll let people behind the curtain on this because I posted on our Instagram saying what a great weekend you had and people who listen to this might know but every time one of these situations comes up where you accomplish something I have to very carefully tread the line between congratulating you sincerely as is deserved slash congratulating you while also writing the post ambiguously enough that it looks like it might be you who's written it. Because okay, so here here's the look behind the curtain on who's posting what when we post on Instagram. One, it's nearly all Mark because he does everything apart from getting me to show up and talk on this podcast. And two, if it's written in that horrible comic sansy font, it's Mark. If it's written in the normal <laughs> font that actual human adults use on Instagram stories, it's me. So and I've done that on purpose to be like there's a differentiation, but also that's Mark's key to pretending I'm him now or vice versa. Mark's just going to write stuff in a different font and make it look like me now. We've got it solved. Um, so yeah, I did I did have to, when I put what a great weekend uh, James Mack has had, I was going to like quote it and put it as if it was from your account as well or something similar. Because I, yeah. I think I think people, people obviously know that both of us are on it. Um, I think it would be hilarious to look as if you would use that account to congratulate yourself. Yeah, that would be ridiculous. But we were going to post the WhatsApp conversation screenshot about this, but um, I have said, oh God, I'd beeping hate that nice one. Um, so we kind of couldn't post it because I couldn't even say the word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we were just saying, imagine posting being like, I, comma, definitely James have had a great weekend. Also, my team won. What a weekend <laughs> it's been for our own at James Mac dash at James Mac. Um, but yeah, um, I, I do. I, I think anyone who knows me feel like this guy doesn't like himself enough to do that. So, um, yeah, fair enough. Right. Do you want to award the belt before we get out of here? Uh, yeah. So I messaged Mark, uh, yesterday, was it? God. Uh, or the day before, uh, no, yesterday, and I was like, "Hey, I hope you don't mind that we're not discussing it because Papi gets the belt, right?" And yes. your reply was like, "Oh yeah, don't worry, I've already like it. Yeah, it's done." So, Papi, congrats, you get the belt, but also more importantly, you're the MVP of the Copa del Rey and won the thing. So, congrats and thanks, and you're welcome. And <laughs> on that um, note. We'll get out of here. Um, if you're listening to this as it comes out, it is going to be Euro Cup 1, two, 2, and 3 finals this weekend coming up, and then it will be Champions Cup the weekend after that. So stay tuned, because we're going to have a lot to cover, and we've also got a guest on the hook for the near future, which we're really excited about. So, yes. yeah, keep your eyes peeled. I will. Peel your eyes. Take it easy. Don't eat the yellow snow. Be good. Uh, yes. Stay safe. Bye.